0: unpacking the big opportunity in biotech's bloodbath this is industry focus hi fools healthcare analyst michael douglas here today for those of you who are expecting to hear christine i am sorry she is on vacation and i am filling in so get ready for some vocalized pauses but i am joined by todd campbell our regular contributor here on industry focus todd great to have you
1: Oh, I'm happy to be here. It's good to uh, see you back in the seat, at least for this week.
0: <laughs> you're, uh, you're very kind. Hopefully not, not our uh, only encore performance of the original uh, industry-focused healthcare team, but, uh, but you know, we'll see how that, how that goes. So uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about, well, biotech's just had a rough couple of months. Um, the IBB's down, what is it, Todd, 20%?
1: Twenty one percent just since July.
0: Yeah, and I, I, that's you know one of your major biotech indices. Um, just those of us who follow healthcare very closely are and invest accordingly heavily. Our our portfolios are suffering. <laughs> Certainly, mine is. Uh, I don't know about yours, Todd. Oh, I'm taking it on the chin as well. You know the long term thesis, though. We got to stay with it, right? Right. Exactly. And and I and I think that's one of the one of the the big things. Um, in today's episode we're going to talk a little bit about kind of why biotech's been down and then we we'll, we'll segue into okay well so what's a long-term investor to do and then maybe talk about a couple of, a couple of stocks that are on our radars particularly because they and the broader industry are on sale so let's start with why I mean IBB doesn't drop twenty one percent in what three months for nothing what what would have been the main causes Todd you know there's, there's a couple of different things. everybody has been talking
1: about ever since Yellen started talking about biotech and bubbles, right? Everybody has been talking about, is there a bubble forming in biotechnology? Mm-hmm. And there's no question that, you know, in the wake of Obamacare and millions of new people uh, getting insurance, getting access to medicine in the wake of an aging population, there's a lot more demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, technology is advancing very rapidly. So you're getting increasingly complex and potentially more effective drugs. So that's understandably gotten a lot of people excited about the opportunities that are out there for healthcare. And as a result, a lot of these stocks, you know, doubled or more over the course of the last two years. So this has been a, a very, quote-unquote, hot place for investors to be focusing their attention on. Right. However, you know, as you mentioned, recently, you know, it's fallen off a cliff. Why? And I, I think that, you know... You can't really say that any one particular thing is to blame. It's probably just more this is the excuse that finally got people to say, you know, what? I got too much risk in this ex- uh, exposed in this industry. Let's pull it back in. Right. But, you know, a few weeks back, there was a very high profile uh, article in The New York Times highlighting how one company went out and bought this drug that's been around for 60 years. And then increase the price by 4,000 percent without doing anything to improve the drug, and you know that sort of is, was held up as saying, "Wow, what is going wrong? Something needs to change." Mm-hmm. Which of course then led to Hillary Clinton yeah. coming out and saying, "You know, let's put some, some try to do, some, do better at controlling or curbing costs, et cetera, et cetera." It, it's it's definitely been a very news-heavy couple months. And a lot of that news heaviness has centered around the pricing of medicine. Mm
0: -hmm. And, of course, that makes investors nervous because at the end of the day, these biotechs, if they're going to make money, they're doing it because um, they take the risk they They have these drugs, you know the vast majority of phase one drugs fail. Um, they take these drugs through these increasingly expensive trials. They take on all that risk. They have lots you know often lots of failures, and then they command premium pricing uh, for those that end up getting to market, maybe not all, but many of them. and so suddenly, uh, I think it calls into question in a lot of people's minds the business model. But then I think the key question is, is this maybe a wee bit overdone? I mean, first off, on a broader sector basis. Um, and and then, with the fact that, frankly, I mean, any any adjustments would affect different companies differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got you, you know larger cap companies are going to fall less than smaller cap companies. You've right. got companies that have drugs already on the market are going to fall less than companies that have are clinical stage and are still researching those drugs. Sure. You know, to your point earlier, anyone who has listened to you and I chat about this industry in the past you know, we've said this over and over, 90% of drugs that go into human trials n- never make it to market. Yeah. So only 10% make it to market. And, you know, studies show that, you know, it can cost a billion dollars or more to bring a drug all the way through human clinical trials to commercialization. So, yeah, there's a lot of risk that's being taken on. And at the end of the day, for biotech investors and pharmaceutical investors, big pharma investors, the ability to monetize that risk is what leads to earnings growth and rewards investors uh, over the long run.
0: Right. So I, I think our, our key question then has to be: Okay, so the I'm not going to say that it's been um, it's been just a just a total drop because, of course, there are some companies that have that have actually in, increased in market value in the healthcare space even throughout these last couple of months. Um, but that said. You know, it's been this sort of general malaise. Um, you and I were talking before the show about just a number of the larger caps that had just fallen, you know, 15 and 17 and 20%, all kind of clustered together in terms of how much they'd fallen. So, given that, um, I, I think the, the key question people then need to ask is okay, with this broad sector wide sell off, what, what great business models have been thrown out? Uh, along with maybe you know less optimal ones, sort of which babies have been thrown out with the bathwater? What's a, what's an attractive, let's say large cap company for a beginning investor in healthcare that's on your radar because it's been beaten down so much, Todd?
1: Well, I, I know one that, that you're going to absolutely uh, uh, talk about. Well, it, could, um, could it, could it,
0: it couldn't be Gilead Sciences, could it?
1: It may just be Gillian <laughs> Sciences. You know, you and I have talked a lot about this company ever since they, they came out with what was a revolutionary new hepatitis C drug back mm-hmm. at the end of 2013. Um, it's it's an impressive company, generating yeah. a tremendous amount of cash and a lot of earnings. And quite frankly, I have a hard time believing that, you know, buying it at these prices isn't going to be a smart move. Long term for for investors.
0: Yeah, and that's because I mean, Gilead is trading at a ra- You have to go with adjusted earnings um, as opposed to the gap EPS. But with adjusted earnings, Gilead's trading at about eight times next year's estimated earnings, which is just. I mean, I don't see that kind of. We don't really see that kind of valuation much in healthcare. Uh, you know, with the broader market valued in the in the teens. Um, it's hard to imagine that a company that's had such tremendous growth um, and has such strong hepatitis C and HIV market share um, is really the Goliath in both those spaces uh, is selling at such a discount.
1: Yeah, I mean, people have been betting against Gilead as far as their market share and Hep C for a while now. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking that you know going to come in and, and steal away market share, Merck's going to come in and steal away market share, Bristol Myers coming right. in and steal market share. However, that hasn't really materialized. Instead, um, you know, any price competition, you know, any competition resulting in lower prices has actually been a good thing because more patients are now being treated, and that's resulting in, in, uh, in, in greater top-line uh, sales growth. Right. And You know, with, with Gilead just coming out late last month and reporting that their pan-genotype uh, next-generation hepatitis C drug had cure rates of 99%, it's hard to believe that this isn't going to be an industry leader, or at least within this market. So yeah. when you're looking at paying eight and a half times, you know forward earnings, it's almost like you're getting, you know, their dominant position in HIV treatment for free.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, oh, okay, what? So, so let's let's get off my, my particular hobby horse, though. What's a, what's another, um, you know, large cap company? L- let, let's say, you know, for a retail investor, the sort of person who maybe isn't interested in in getting really in the weeds, but that gives you kind of broad exposure and frankly, has been down in the double digits.
1: Well, there are two companies that I that jump out at me mm-hmm. um, that, that are intriguing, to, to me at least. And, and, you know, I own Celgene. That's one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, Celgene is down 15% since July. It's a Goliath and multiple myeloma treatment. It's got a new autoimmune disease drug that's growing very quickly. It's got a lot of different irons in the fire that continue to, to kick out new drugs, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I think people need to remember is that the payer pushback, granted, no one wants to pay more for cancer drugs, right, than they were 10 years ago. But these drugs are very effective, and kind of like what we saw with hepatitis C. If you can create more effective drugs that reduce other costs later down the road, say hospitalizations or relapse in cancer cases. Then you know you can you can get premium pricing, and insurers will be willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't steer away from cellgene solely because it's involved in cancer. And then the other large company that I think is intriguing to me is Pfizer. You know, Pfizer took it on the chin when it lost patent protection of Liptor a few years ago. Mm-hmm. but you know, the sales now have stabilized. And their, their purchase earlier this year of Hospira, which is a leader in biosimilars, could be transformative. I mean, if you're concerned about drug pricing, well, then ramp up you know, the pace of approval for biosimilars. Yeah. And if that ends up happening, then Pfizer is, is primed to benefit.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and biosimilars for those who who are less familiar with them um, are essentially uh, generic forms of biological drugs. You've got two types of drugs: you've got your small molecules, and you've got generic, and and you've got your uh, biologics. Um, and biologics are more difficult to duplicate. In fact, you can't precisely duplicate them, which is why they're called biosimilars, not well something else. Bioexact, <laughs> yeah, Bioexact. <laughs> there it is. Uh, we'll just call it that. That'll be that's our new yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, but um but you know the the path the the path to approval for biosimilars um has really only just begun to really be established here in the United States um and so unlike typical small molecule generic drugs you know you can buy acetaminophen um, for Tylenol, anytime, anywhere, it's been very difficult to get for people to get their hands on biosimilars. So this is an opportunity to really kind of lower that that drug cost. And I could absolutely see an administration who, which is perhaps unable to to make some of the big changes that a lot of uh, campaigns are talking about right now. You know, Medicare negotiating directly for drug prices. You know, some of these other big public policy moves. Um, Instead, you know, directing the FDA to establish a more clear um, path forward for biosimilars or something like that, and that would definitely Pfizer would definitely be a big beneficiary of that, along with uh, Amgen, which has been um, really ramping up its biosimilar program for similar reasons to Pfizer, right? Because you know Pfizer lost um, lost a big drug Lipitor a few years back, uh, or most of its sales anyway, and uh, Amgen has got a number of drugs that are Likely to go off patent protection in the next few years, uh, or have recently, and so biosimilars are a smart way for them to go ahead and start kind of seizing market share elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, bias, I, I've written on the subject. We've talked about before. I think this is something that investors need to pay attention absolutely to those these areas. But it's not just the, the big cap stocks that may be interesting to investors here. You know, there are clinical stage companies that have late stage, you know, late stage programs underway it may be intriguing for people who are willing to take on more risk too
0: sure yeah uh, i i'd say a good example is um uh celdex which has a a late stage drug called Rintega. uh it's in phase three trials right now uh, for glioblastoma multiform that's a form of brain cancer um targeting specifically folks who uh, a particular subset of that patient population um about a third um who express the egfr v3 mutation um you know Celdex, it's an interesting company because you know it's down around two thirds from its highs earlier this year. Um, and That's been in part because Rintega isn't um, on track to potentially come to market quite as quickly, I think, as a lot of investors were hoping. Um, not that Celdex has ever guided for it to come, you know, sooner to market than the expected time, which is probably based on a few different factors, probably. Sometime in 2017, maybe late 2016, uh, depending. Um, but but it, it's interesting because you look at uh, an S and P cap IQ um, uh, estimates from analysts as to what the company's revenue will be in 2020. It's currently trading at one times so its 2020 re- revenue, which would be essentially you know what Rintegi would bring in, maybe you know a couple of other things here or there, um, and that is effectively discounting a lot of their earlier stage pipeline. Now, listen, early stage drugs are hard to value, and I don't really tend to assign a lot of value to them, but they're a nice bonus. And when you've got a drug like varlumab, um, which is this cancer drug that they're testing in a number of different indications in combination with a number of other folks' cancer drugs, most notably Bristol-Myers Nivolumab, also known as Opdivo, which is... um, which is really one of the big Goliaths in the, um, in the uh, immunotherapy space, which is basically drugs kind of um, helping your immune system target cancer, uh, kind of a kind of a cool uh, a really cool idea that's that's been really working um, in clinical trials. Um, then suddenly you've got a company where your opportunity feels a little bit asymmetric compared to the risk.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I want to add something to this conversation too, because I mean, obviously we have no idea where these stocks are going No, we have no idea whether or not the trials will will confirm uh positive results in pre previous trials right uh or if the fda will approve them right we don't know right but you're looking at a stock that like you said has lost two-thirds of its value and you know for the average investor no you shouldn't put all of your eggs in one basket absolutely not you should have a lot of different healthcare stocks as part a, of a greater diversified portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. So you own some drug makers, you own some biotechs, you own some hospitals, you own an insurer, you own a pharmacy company, right? But there's no, you know, you can take a risk and put a little bit if you're young enough and you've got a long-term um, time horizon right. in something like this, and you know what? Maybe you end up with a with a big
0: winner. Yeah, and maybe you end up with a big loser too. Um, but the but the hope here is that you're caping it to a small enough percentage of your biotech portfolio and of your overall portfolio that um, if it loses, it's not a big deal. You know, this is exactly. not this is not a Pfizer, right? This is not a Gilead or a Cellgene, which which makes sense as larger positions potentially if you like them because of their broader diversity and deeper pipelines.
1: Absolutely you know if you have one percent or two percent of your portfolio in a name like this and you and, and, you know it's not going to kill you if, yeah. if something goes wrong you know the right sizing these kind of positions in portfolios is very important for investors and I think that there is the potential that a lot of people got out of their wheelhouse over the last couple of years it's a perfect opportunity to just look at your holdings again and just make sure that the things that you bought you bought for the right reasons
0: mm-hmm. yeah and you know, who, what will happen to healthcare today, tomorrow, next week, next month? No idea. But long term, the demographic trends are unmistakably good for healthcare, and so I think it's a, it's an exciting sector for investors with a long term. Mindset. Um, Todd, as always, thanks for, thanks for your contribution and, and your commentary here. It has been such a pleasure to, uh, to talk with you about this. Uh, folks, as always, if you ever have any questions uh, or a stock on your radar or you got a question about something that we mentioned or anything at all, um, send us an email. Uh, that's um, industryfocus at full.com. And again, that's industryfocus at full.com. Um, thanks much. Check back to full.com for all of your investing needs. Full on. As always, folks on this show and The Motley Fool may have positions in companies that we mentioned. I can tell you for sure that Todd and I both own Gilead and Celgene. And it's important to never, ever, ever buy a stock just based on what you hear. Do your own research. It is the right thing to do. It's the foolish way. And it's uh, a great tool for long-term investors. Always, always, always do your own due diligence. Thanks.